Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. James says it this way, this same ugly little tongue that is in our mouths, you know, man can control wild beasts, big ocean liners with just a small rudder, but man cannot control this little piece of flesh in his mouth. We, with that same tongue, we praise God. And then with that same tongue, we curse our fellow Christian. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Barag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Job. Pastor J.D. reminds us of the power of our tongues today. The unkind things that we say about others has the power to gestate into horrid things. It destroys relationships, families, and even churches. Be careful with the things that you say. Train yourself to speak only words of blessing, wisdom, and truth. Ask Jesus to guide you in your words. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Job chapters 19 and 20 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's one of the most disturbing chapters in all of the pages of Holy Writ. And it all boils down to how Christians treat each other. This is a serious problem. I have seen it. I'm talking about the mainland. Never use examples here. (laughs) Only on the mainland. I have seen lives destroyed because of this. No love, no compassion. D.L. Moody said it this way. The church has become very jealous about men being unsound in the faith. Oh, we're so quick, aren't we, when it comes to the doctrinal? We're all doctrinal police. So quick to point out the error. If a man becomes unsound in the faith, they draw their ecclesiastical swords and cut at him. But he may be ever so unsound in love. And they don't say anything. 1 Corinthians 13, two chapters later. By the way, we call it the love chapter. Oh, we read it ever so beautifully and eloquently and magnificently at weddings. Love is, love is, love is. Oh, how touching. You know why the Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that famous love chapter? Because these Corinthians, these carnal Corinthians, had no clue what love is. You you think you know what love is? Shit, that's not love. This is what love is. And that's why we have the love chapter. You You think you're so loving because you're accepting of everyone. Oh, come in. Come on. Oh, you're... Uh, having a sexually immoral relationship with your stepmother. Come on, we'll love on you. That's not love. You know what love is? Is to kick him out of the church and give him over to the destruction of his flesh by Satan. If you really love him, you'll confront him. 
You don't love him. You love yourself. That's not love. This is what love is. Oh, by the way, the second epistle to the Corinthian church, uh, he repents. You really care? That, that's not love. This is what love is. You have no idea what love is. <laughs> uh, you can, First Corinthians 13, you can be so eloquent as an orator, but if you have not love, bring up one of these uh, gongs, you know, these cymbals, and just start banging it really loud. We'll have Tyler turn up the soundboard. It'll just blow your eardrums out. That's what that's what that is. If it's, if there's no love, you can you can have all of these things, but if there's no love, it's nothing. Love is supreme. Charles Spurgeon said it this way of Job's so-called friends: They struck at him with their hard words as if they were breaking stones on the roadside. We ought to be very careful what we say to those who are suffering affliction and trial, for a word, though it seems to be a very little thing, will often cut far more deeply and wound far more terribly than a razor would. You know that saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Have you ever heard such a lie like that? I mean, there, there, no lie was ever told that is more of a lie than that. Sticks and, I think Job would beg to differ. These words cut. Uh, the tongue, the proverb says, has the power of life and death. James says it this way, this same ugly little tongue that is in our mouths, you know, man can control wild beasts, big ocean liners with just a small rudder, but man cannot control this little piece of flesh in his mouth. We, with that same tongue, we praise God. And then with that same tongue, we curse our fellow Christians. I think that nothing grieves the heart of God more than when Christians do that to one another. I think about what Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, the fifth chapter, verses 14 and 15. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, and you know it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, and it's pretty strong. He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Again, James says that this tongue can start a fire that can destroy, it'll start an entire one spark from the tongue can start a whole forest fire and leave the path of destruction that comes as a result. Just one, one word, one insinuation, one accusation. Oh, the enemy loves that. And the enemy's behind that, by the way. Sometimes the enemy will put a thought in your mind towards somebody. 
He'll, he's the accuser of the brethren, right? And he's the author of confusion, right? And he's the father of lies, right? So he'll, he'll put, plant a seed of accusation in your mind concerning somebody else. I'll use myself as an example. He'll do it to me. Not, not with you. This is with when I was a pastor on the mainland, you know. So he'll put a thought in my mind. Did you, did you just hear how he talked to you? That was really disrespectful. Who does he think he is? You're, you're, you're his pastor and, and he's talking. And then here's Satan working the other side. He's working both, both sides. So he's putting an accus- accusatory thought in the other person's mind. He says, who, who does that pastor think he is? <laughs> he ain't all that. How dare he talk, talk to you like that? Who does, he, who does he think? And you see how, and then it just starts. Just a little spark, just a little itsy bitsy thing like that. And all of a sudden just, boom. I mean, you could just write the next chapter in that book. And by the way, those books are voluminous. Those, you know, we get sometimes prayer requests from people from our online church that are just begging us to pray for them because their church is going through a split that is so satanic. And here's this pastor and their and his wife that have been faithfully serving in that community, in that church for many years. And they've been on the receiving end of these false accusations. And half the church has turned against them. The other half is for them. And it's a bloodbath. I'll tell you, I, I've never seen a church survive that. I'm sad to say I've never seen a church survive that. Now, I have seen bigger churches where you've had these little groups, and it starts just like that, and they try to, you know, cause problems, and then they eventually leave, and they destroy families. You know, the, the biggest casualty to me, and I, I again, I saw this on the mainland, uh, even to this day, how many years later now? Some, what, 15, 20 years later plus? It's so sad. The young kids want nothing to do with God. They, they see what's happening in the church. They want nothing to do with God. And they'll never step foot back in a church again. If by the grace of God, you know, God just in his mercy gets a hold of them. You know, they might come back to the Lord, but it'll never be the same for them. They want nothing to do with the church, the ministry. I mean, it is so painful to see marriages. I could take the rest of our, I won't, I could, (laughs) I won't. In fact, as depressing as this is, I want to move on to my Redeemer lives. So we're almost there. Man, we're going to make it to one chapter tonight, but <laughs> but I could take the rest of the night tonight, and I could cite story after story, true story, of marriages where the husband and wife ended up in a divorce because of this kind of thing. We 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 hear words like "Where's the love?" I ask. Where is the love? Should not love mark us as God's people? 
supremely. I think of what was said of the early church, my how they love, and that was a non-Christian. My how they love. You know what I love about this church? We have a visitor that comes in, and they'll email me, they'll tell me, they'll thank me. Wow, this is a really loving church, and it is. And I praise God for that, and I thank you for that. We pray, I know in our prayer meeting before first service, I'll pray very specifically, Lord, whoever walks through the doors of this beautiful church building, please, Lord, we we want to love on them, we want to welcome them, we want to bless them, we want to welcome them. We know that blesses you. And there's nothing that brings more joy to this pastor's heart than when I receive an email or a comment, and somebody says, man, I've been to that church. That is the most loving church. And then, you know what, I love to be able to tell them in, in response, and you've heard me say this, and I really mean this, and God knows my heart. If I wasn't the pastor of this church, as is my privilege to be, this is where I would go to church. <laughs> this is a great church. We are so blessed. I I, I sometimes wonder, I almost wonder, and, I, and I'll speak of myself, it's, it's almost like we, we take how blessed we are as a church for granted. You know how many, you know that I was asked this the other, the other day. You know what our number one request is from our online church? Do you know of another church in my area that is like this church? Because I, I can't find a church. I cannot find a church. We want we want to attend and fellowship and be a part of a church, but we cannot forget even Bible prophecy. Okay, nobody's talking about Bible prophecy. Just do you know a church that even just preaches the word that actually teaches the Bible? No, the, teaches the Bible, not not refers to it, talks about it quotes from it. No, teaches the word. Is there any church in our, that's the number one request that we get. And by the way, so I can put it into perspective, on average we'll receive hundreds of comments and emails on a daily basis. On a daily basis. And here we are, this obscure little church in, on the windward side of Oahu, who knew? God knew, right? I pray, and this is why I am now begging you to come to our prayer meeting is, we need to pray together as a church. Wouldn't you agree that we've been given much, and to whom much has been given is not much required? God has blessed us, like we talked about on Sunday in Ephesians chapter 3, exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything we could have ever thought or imagined. I was talking to Steve Santos today. He's pastor's Calvary Chapel West Side on Maui. And, um, you know, I was just, just praising God and giving all the glory to God and trying to help him out a little bit. They're trying to uh, by this, you know, property, and and I was sharing with them about what God did for us with this property, <laughs> and I said, you know, I I prayed and I asked God before the acquisition of the property, and certainly 
during the renovation of the property, Lord, do this in such a way so that when it's all said and done, even if we wanted to, none of us, nobody could take the credit for what you did. And then after I prayed it, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> what did I just, cause you know, you know what I really prayed? God, I mean, riddle this whole project from front to finish with obstacles and difficulty and adversity that only you can do so that when it's all done and people walk in, they go, ooh, ah, wow. And they do that, by the way. Ooh, ah, wow, what a beautiful building. How did you guys do it? And I love, you know what our response is? <laughs> we did it. Get it? God did it. God did it for us and instead of us. And I'm even convinced in spite of us too. And all the glory goes to God. Great things he has done. All right. So here's the second thought. <laughs> we're still in chapter 19. Did I say we're going to go to chapter 23 tonight? Okay, well, we'll see how far we go. Thanks for your grace, by the way. No, this second thought is, of course, in verse 25, where Job says that he knows, not he hopes, not he thinks, he knows his Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand at last on the earth, and he shall see him when his flesh fails. When this is all said and done, he knows that God is at the end of this and is going to redeem him in and through this. What makes this interesting is that the word translated redeemer is the word goel, and it carries with it the idea of one who redeems the lost. Job sees himself as utterly and completely and totally lost. And, and he's crying out for this Redeemer, and perhaps unwittingly, but clearly, he's referring to our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who yet future would redeem the lost by paying in full for the sins of all mankind. If you don't mind, I want to share with you some commentators on this. They, they, of course, the commentators are going crazy over this, right? And of all places in the book of Job, you have this declaration, this grand and glorious declaration coming from Job, which says something, that he knows his Redeemer lives. I want to start with G. Campbell Morgan. Listen to what he wrote. He says, when Job, amid the desolation, declared that he had a goel, living and active, he was uttering a profound truth. The truth that in God, man has his Redeemer in all the fullest senses of that great word. It was a spiritual apprehension of an abiding fact, which fact came into clear shining when God was manifest in flesh. 
How many of you know that Jesus Christ is found in every book in the entirety of the Bible? And it's all about him from Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. It all points to the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, I'll take it a step further and suggest, and this is going to be apropos on Resurrection Sunday, in the Old Testament, everything pointed to and was fulfilled by the person of Jesus Christ. You go into the book of Exodus and the Passover when the Israelites, with that tenth plague, they would take that that lamb and inspect it for four days. Exactly the amount of time that Jesus was on trial and found to be without blemish, spotless, without sin. And then they take the blood of that lamb, they slit the throat at the exact time, the 14th of Aviv on the ninth hour, the exact time that Jesus was crucified. And they take that blood and they put it on the doorpost in the shape of a cross and the angel of death passes over. And here's the disciples in the upper room, Luke 22. The night that he's going to be arrested. And what are they doing? They're celebrating the Passover. The Passover. (laughs) And here's the disciples celebrating the Passover with the fulfillment of the Passover. They're celebrating the Passover, and Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover prophecy. Everything pointed to him, and he's about to go to the cross and ultimately fulfill the prophecies. Prophecies, plural, some have counted over 300 of them in the Old Testament. These prophecies about his first coming. And just the statistical odds, mathematically, of one man fulfilling just even eight of over 300 prophecies were just incalculable. One likened it this way. I think the the scientist, brilliant man, uh, Peter Stoner, I think was his name, he actually tried to bring it into understandable terms. And he said it would be like taking and covering the entire state of Texas with uh, silver dollars. And I forget how high. The entire state and, and how deep. How de- The entire state with these silver dollars. The entire state of Texas. The book of Job shares the story of a man who has lost everything but still clung to his faith in the goodness of God. This is an unusual concept, especially in a world that typically blames God for the evil that is around the world. God is still good no matter the difficulties you are facing in your own life. God is in control, and He will bring things to the conclusion He knows is right and perfect. He provides the peace and comfort you'll need to endure as well. Along with the strength to continue forging ahead, trust God, He's on your side. We hope you found encouragement and blessing through today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. We'd love to connect with you, so please take time to visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Follow our links to Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and join the conversation already happening there. 
You'll learn more about our ministry at our website as well and be able to catch the latest editions of the Mideast Prophecy Update. Each week, Pastor J.D. takes a look at current events of the world and compares them with scriptural teachings, sharing what God is teaching him through it all. You'll find these updates at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com as well as on our mobile app for Apple and Android phones. That brings us to the end of our time with you today. There's much more to discover in the book of Job. We hope you'll read ahead and ask God to reveal His truth through the words on the page. Join us on the next edition of In Spirit and Truth as Pastor J.D. continues his study in Job. Holding me true